And the song that Danny and Jenny just did said, here's my heart, Lord, speak words of truth. In just a few moments, one of our friends and ministry partners, Tim Birdwell, who is the pastor at Phoenix Bible Church, is going to come and open God's Word, the Bible, and is going to teach us. And we pray that our hearts would be receptive to the words of truth that he's going to bring us. But I want to tell you, we are so excited to partner with Tim and with many other churches. And this is a part of our prayer emphasis. As you listen to the words that he shares today and maybe afterwards, God brings a church to your mind. It may be Fink's Bible Church. It may be Heritage. It may be some other church that you're aware of through a friend at work or in your neighborhood. Let's pray for those churches. And I want to ask you to just write a prayer for a church or for ministry. Put it on this three-by-five index card that you find in that card holder. And, and then Katie's going to remind you then to tack that to the card to the poster board on the back on your way out just as a part of our emphasis for these 40 days of prayer. And if you come for the 40 hours of prayer over this weekend, I hope that you will. It's going to be really lonely from 3 o'clock to 7 in the morning on Saturday for me. Okay, so I really invite you to come so I don't fall asleep and I'm able to pray. But uh, pray for those churches during that time as well. It's so important for us to keep that because as I said before, we're about building the church, not a church. And I want to tell you about Tim Birdwell before he came. Pastor Caleb is preaching at Phoenix Bible this morning, so they're sort of doing a pastoral pulpit swap this morning. And Caleb is the one who actually introduced Tim and me. Uh, he had met him and found out that Tim had come to Phoenix to plant a church in central urban Phoenix and he was a part of more of a nationwide church planting effort and a pretty high-profile ministry. And they came down here to do it. so excited about doing it. His, his wife is, is expecting their third child, and they're stoked about being there. Tim and I went to the same school, not at the same time, because he's a whole lot older, I mean younger than I am, and uh, at Dallas Seminary. And he was well-prepared, came here so stoked and excited about planting this church. And then something happened that was unexpected. And that is that the sending church ran into some significant problems. And they started pulling the plug on different churches that they started, including Phoenix. And I mean like quickly. Tim didn't know where his salary's coming from. He didn't know where his family was gonna be cared for. And so at the time that we met, we talked, and I just said, brother, talk to me, what's happening? I was impressed then, I'm impressed now. With his faith, with his heart, he said, we believe God brought us to Phoenix to start a church. That's what we're gonna do. That was the beginnings of Phoenix Bible Church two years ago. We've had the privilege of partnering with them. We've been engaged in different things. Caleb and I have both spoken there. We've done leadership training. Tim brought some of his team out here, did some leadership training with our staff. We, we have been engaged in ministry and life together. I love this brother, love his wife, love his family, just what God's doing in their lives and the ministry being a part of that is so great. Give, give a warm Phoenix welcome to Tim Birdwell. Tim, come up here, brother. Well, it, uh, it's really great to be here. I'm glad to be here. I'm so grateful for your church, uh, your pastors, your heart for this city. Uh, not many churches are like this. I, I don't know if you realize that. If this is your first time, you should come here. Right? You should, this is a good church. You should be a part of Desert Springs and what God is doing here. It's fitting uh, that we're in this series on prayer as well. One of my favorite memories from the start of our church is early on, on one of those tough days, is getting a card in the mail from Desert Springs Bible Church. And I didn't really know uh, Pastor Rick or Caleb that well at this point, but I got a card from them on one of those tough days that just said, hey, we took some time in our staff meeting today to pray for you, your family, and your church. 
That's a special thing, and it was special in my life, my family's life, our church's life, and, and we're here as a church two years later in large part to, to you guys, and so thank you for support and prayers uh, for that. We are uh, going to be in John chapter 17 this morning, uh, so grab a Bible, an app, whatever you have. We'll also have it up on the screen as well for you. You know, we just did celebrate, Rick mentioned our, our second birthday as a church, and uh, we're still kind of uh, getting our, our way around. You guys are about to celebrate 40 years. Uh, we're just celebrating two, so we're still the awkward toddler, right? Just bumping into things and figuring that out. So we want to be you guys when we grow up, right? But my wife was praying with my kids the night before our second birthday as a church and uh, just celebrating God's goodness and graciousness to us and through us in this journey. And my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, prayed something really interesting. She said, God, I want to thank you for making Phoenix Bible Church. It's a good way to say it, right? That as celebrating two years, celebrating four years, that we're not celebrating our fruitfulness, we're celebrating God's faithfulness. And so that's the case with with every church, with everything. And my, my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, is a proud moment as a pastor and dad. She prays this rich theological prayer, right? Well, while she's doing that, my four-year-old son is on the other bed, and he's not praying. No, no, he was trying to bounce his body from one corner of the bed to the other. And, and I tell you that because of this. My kids are different, Right? One is in second grade, one is in preschool. One is learning the piano, one is learning how to play football. Our third is just learning how to pull stuff out of the drawers. Right? My kids are different, but guess what? They're all equally family. And listen, they're not just vertically connected to me as their dad and, and their mom. They're horizontally connected to each other as, as brother and sister. They're as much family with each other as they are with us. Do you see that? They're all one. We're all one. Listen, as we look at John chapter 17, that's the picture Jesus paints for us. That's what Jesus prays for us as the church, that we would be rightly and deeply connected to our Father in heaven, but we would be just as connected to our brothers and sisters who are in this room. And so Jesus prays that for us, and he does so knowing that we would be different. Isn't that crazy? Jesus knew you would be different, but he prays you would be one. What's he thinking? <laughs> Let's look at it together. John chapter 17, we'll start in verse 20. It says this. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So we're kind of dropping in, parachuting into the middle of this chapter, so I want to give you a little bit of context. First, this is a prayer, right? It's not a to-do list. It's not a lecture. It's a prayer. And I know some of you are new to Jesus, new to church. And maybe when you think about the Bible, the only thing you think about is a bunch of religious to-dos. But you need to look at John 17. We have Jesus, the very Son of God, praying for you. 
Second thing you need to see is this. It's a prayer right before Jesus goes to the cross. So he's about to be arrested, beaten, and crucified. And he prays. And so these are his darkest moments. And we get to see Jesus' deepest desires. So he prays for us. And if you read the whole of John 17, Jesus prays for himself, then he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for, look at the text, those who will believe. So do you believe in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Then these words are for you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus prayed for you. 2,000 years later, you show up on the scene. Jesus has already prayed for you. And some of you are thinking, we're going through a series on prayer, and, and I don't always know what to pray, and praying is kind of difficult, and I don't pray as often as I should. You need to know that even when you fail to pray, Jesus prays for you. That's what we see as we enter into this text in John chapter 17. And some of you are here and you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't believed in Jesus. And listen, my prayer for you, Jesus' prayer for you, is that today you would believe in Jesus. That before this day is over, you would believe in Jesus so that these words can be for you as well. Right? You can stop listening to me. I won't be offended. You can start talking to Jesus and give your life to him. And these words, these prayers can be for you as well. But he prays for us. And what's the first thing he prays for? Look at the text. Is it theological aptitude? Is it morality? Is it political affiliation? No. No, he prays, verse 21, that they may all be one. Jesus in his last days, his darkest moment, his deepest desires are that you would be unified. Why? Why does he choose that? He could have prayed for a lot of other things. Why does he choose unity? I think it's because he knew we would need it, right? I mean, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know how difficult unity is, right? Even if you haven't been in the church, this is your first Sunday, just look at our world. I mean, you see how difficult unity can be. You see it among races. You see it among political parties. You see it at the presidential inauguration, amen? You see it everywhere we look. We don't have this box checked of unity. None of us in here. We can all be more unified. And so Jesus knows that, so he prays for it. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just pray for it. He models it. Look at verse 21 again with me. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. You see, Jesus and God the Father are perfectly one. They modeled this for us. Verse 22, it says, God has given his glory to Jesus and he puts it on his display and his life on the earth so that we could be one, just like Jesus is. You see, there's a greater purpose to our unity and it's not just that it's the easier way to live. It's not just that unity makes sense. It's not just that as Christians, you know, we're supposed to like each other. We're supposed to not hate each other. So I guess we'll be unified. No, there's a greater purpose to unity than that. Notice twice in this passage, Jesus says, so that, verse 21, so that, verse 23. Grammar students, we got any of those in here? What does so that indicate? Purpose, yeah, I heard it, purpose. So what's the greater purpose for unity? Look back at the text with me, verse 21. It says that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Verse 23, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. You see, we need to pray for unity because we want more people to be unified. Right? We want more people to be added to the family, to believe in Jesus, the one he has sent, to know that he loves them. And so unity is a vital part to mission. And that's what Jesus prays for you and for me. And some of you might be thinking, well, I thought mission, I thought evangelism was one of those times where we hold up street signs on the corner, we hand out tracts. Like, how does unity help mission? Well, I think there's lots of ways, but one simple way is this. It causes people to ask the question, why? Like, why are people who are different praying with one another, caring for one another, sharing life with one another. Why does that happen? Why does that happen in this room? I mean, people are, are different even in this room. Some of you are vegetarians, right? I think those still exist. Some of you, you haven't touched a green bean in years, right? You're different. Some of you, you love playing golf, right? Some of you aren't quite sure if golf is a real sport. I may have just stirred up some division, so I apologize for that, but you guys can work out unity later in that, but we have so many different personalities, different preferences, even just reflected in this room. So listen, I want you to help me out here. Why are you all here? Jesus, always the right answer, right? Why are you all here? You're here because you wanna worship Jesus. It brings all these different types of people together, so much so, it's kind of weird to be honest with you, we stand up and sing together. You hug some people you've never met before this morning. Why, because of Jesus, because of what he has done for you, and because of what you want them, him to do for them. Why is it, just think about this, why is it that a church that's in the, the northern part of Phoenix, in the suburbs of Phoenix, has any part to do with a church in the urban core of downtown Phoenix? Why does that happen? Help me out. Jesus, that we are all unified in our differences because of Jesus. That the best way, listen, some of you think, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know what I'd say to somebody. The best way that we can love the world is to love one another well. Do you see that? That our unity leads to mission, that it points people to Jesus. That unity is good for us, but it's also good for our world. Psalm 133, I love this verse. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good is it, you may be wondering. Verse two says it. It's like a precious oil poured on the head, running down to the beard. So how good is unity? You know those times when you have so much oil on your head <laughs> that it just starts dripping down the beard? It's that good. It's that good, right? Now, I don't have a beard, so I had to look up what this means. So if you're completely lost, this will help you. Oil in the Old Testament was used as a symbol to dedicate yourself to God's purposes. So you see, Psalm 133, get this, you should read your Bible, it's amazing. Psalm 133 is in the Old Testament, and it's saying the same thing that Jesus prays in the New Testament, that our unity would unleash us to the purposes of God. Unity's good for us, but it's also good for the world around us. And that's why Jesus prays for it. That's why we should pray for it. So what prevents unity? 
Right? We need to know what prevents it if we're going to preserve unity. What prevents it? It's external oppression, right? Ephesians 6 talks about that there's rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil that threaten our unity. But it's interesting. What typically takes down a church isn't external oppression. It's internal division. Like what typically takes down a church isn't our our religious liberties getting taken away. It's not people picketing us. What typically takes down a church is internal division. Titus 3, Paul talks about this, that there are foolish controversies that rise up within a church and end up dividing the church. I remember my family and I went to Sedona and we, we went and looked and toured this church that was built up in the rocks. Some of you may have been there. And so we're walking through and talking to different people. And we talked to one of the guys who, who works there. And I just start asking him questions like, you know, what's the DNA of this church? And what's this church really all about? And what do you guys stand for? And how are the rhythms of this church? You know, because I'm a pastor and I'm weird. So I ask those questions when I'm touring things with my family. And I ask him, you know, like, what time are services? And he said, oh, I mean, we don't have services here anymore. And I said, really? Why, why is that? And he said, well, you know, the, the size of it, the location, and all those things. And, and then he threw something in at the end, and he said, you know, and, and then people were fist fighting in the parking lot. And, and I said, hold on a second. People were fist fighting in the parking lot? And he said, well, you know, I mean, kind of. Yeah, kind of. And I just thought, I think you're joking, but how many times is that true? I mean, maybe not fist fights in the parking lot, Okay. But how many times do, do foolish controversies rise up within a church and they internally divide the church? You see it all the time, unfortunately. You see churches that divide. But what's interesting is churches never start out that way, do they? We just started a church two years ago. We didn't start it planning to divide it. Right? That would be a bad plan. Church planning, I don't know if you know this, is really hard. You don't start it to crush it with division. So they don't start out that way. No, they start out passionate about Jesus. They declare good news. They do good works. That's how they start out. But what happens? Eventually, a few people get together and some controversy rises up. Maybe about the music. They think, should we sing hymns or Hillsong? They think the programs, I mean, we sure do a lot for the young people. I mean, I love young people, don't get me wrong, but what about everybody else? They think about roles, like he gets to do that, and why does she get to plan that? And controversy starts to swell up in a church, and before you know it, that church turns into a museum or a wedding venue, and it's tragic. It's especially tragic for a church in downtown Phoenix who doesn't have a building. If you know of one of those churches that wants to give it to us, I'll give you my card after this is over. It's tragic, right? Because controversy stirs up division internally. Tim Chester, an author and theologian, said this. He said, people are either cul-de-sacs or channels. You either stop controversy or you spread it. Can you picture that? People are either cul-de-sacs, the controversy stops with you, or you're a channel. It just spreads right through you. I know for us, when we have people over at our house, my wife will go through and light candles throughout our house because, you know, we don't want it to smell like diapers. It's our version of hospitality, right? 
And so my wife lights all these candles in our house. And my four-year-old son, what he loves to do is go around to all the candles and put the lid on them. And my wife loves that. Let me just tell you. She loves that. She loves going back and lighting all the candles again, right? No, it drives her crazy because he's just thinking, I just lit those. Listen, when you are faced with controversy, because you are, what you need to do is not fan the flame of that. You need to put a lid on it. Because you're, you're a cul-de-sac. You're not a channel. You're a follower of Jesus. You are to be unified, not just with him vertically, but with others horizontally. Listen, church, we are to lead the way in this. In your workplace, in your family, in your relationships, we lead the way in unity because we're cul-de-sacs, not channels. We preserve unity. We don't prevent it. And so you need to think about in your life, am I a cul-de-sac? Does it stop with me when I'm faced with it? Does it stop with me or do I spread it? Do I rant about it? Do I retweet it? What do you do when you're faced with controversy? And that's difficult for some of us because we are faced with controversy. So I want to give you just this one quick question to think about. When you're faced with controversy and you're thinking, should I engage? Should I respond? Should I react? I want you to think about this. Will it win for me or will it witness for God? Like, if you further this, if you're like, man, I just got to get on Facebook and say this, like, it's going to help a lot of people, will it? Will it win for you or will it witness for God? Because as followers of Jesus, that's our goal is to reflect the oneness of God. And so we help preserve unity. We don't prevent it. We don't get caught up in controversy. We get caught up in Jesus. You see, oftentimes what I see is that people who get caught up in controversy, I don't mean you just talk about it. I mean you get caught up in it, right? Like you know, if this is you, maybe even right now, you're caught up in some other things that aren't primary to the gospel. They're not essential to what God is doing in the life of the church. And you've gotten caught up in them. Typically what I see is that people have gotten caught up in controversy because they they are not caught up in Jesus anymore. Some of you maybe even here this morning, you've been in church your whole life. Like when I said John 17, you knew exactly where to turn, right? You didn't have to look at your table of contents. You know how to stand up, you know how to sit down, you know how to do the whole deal. And, And could it be that for some of you, you've lost your awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And here's my fear is that when that happens, it leads us down a road to division. Because if we're not in awe of Jesus, we begin to focus on some other things. We begin to look at people who are really excited about their faith and we think, how cute, right? I remember when I was like you. You begin to see somebody else in the church who who rises up and they're passionately serving in the church. But not only that, it's affecting their home life. They're reorienting all of their, their priorities around Jesus and his mission. And you just look at him and you think, show off. Like, you'll learn. I mean, how naive. Listen, I know many of us have never said that out loud, but how many times have we thought that? Could it be, if that is you, that you've lost your awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That you are allowed to focus on other things because you're not focusing on Jesus. You're not in awe of Jesus. Listen, church, we need to be a people who are in awe of Jesus Christ. Not just when you meet him, but for the rest of your life. Not just one Sunday, but every day of the week. 
We need to meditate on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to elevate in our churches the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, I'm not saying you always have to raise a hand or say amen. I'll take that back. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt us to get a little bit more excited, amen? It wouldn't hurt us to get a little bit more excited about what Jesus has done for us. Amen, that the God of the universe has come to earth to save us and reconcile us to him and to one another. Amen. We should be in awe of that truth. Are you in awe of that truth? If you're not, you can get distracted and move on to other things and lead to division. But that's not who you're called to be. You're called to preserve unity, not prevent it. Are you? Are you getting caught up in controversy or are you caught up in Jesus? You know what will make Desert Springs Bible Church a great church? It is a great church, right? It's a great church. Amen. But you know what will give Desert Springs Bible Church a legacy for the next 40 years? You know what will give Phoenix Bible Church a legacy for our next 40 years? It's not going to be cute graphics. It's not going to be creative programs. It's not going to be amazing one-liners by Caleb <laughs> that just end the sermon, you just like punch you in the gut, and you're just like, man, that was so good. I've never heard that before. Like All those things are great. This building is, is fantastic. All these things help. They're great to have a church with a legacy that makes much of Jesus. But you know how you'll be a legacy that makes much of Jesus? You'll be unified. You'll be a people unified around Jesus and his mission to rescue people who don't know him yet. That you'll come together amidst all your preferences and personalities, that you will come together and you will sing and you will praise Jesus, but you won't stop there. You'll go, out, you'll go out in your communities and you'll proclaim Jesus. And you'll practice the works of Jesus. And you'll do that together, even when you disagree. That is unusual. That is unique. That only points to Jesus. We can't pull that off. Right? The reason we're in this room together, the reason we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ is not because we all play spades together on Friday nights, right? It's not because we like the same sports. It's because we serve the same God. And he's reconciled us to him, and now he's reconciled us to others, and Jesus prays for that. Imagine what would happen if we lived this out. Does our world need us to live this out? Yes, perhaps more than ever before. Imagine what would happen if we lived this out. Imagine how, how Jesus would be made much of in the city. Imagine the new people that would walk through this door because you're unified, because you love one another well, and they want a taste of that. Why? Why do you guys do that? Why do you share meals together? Why do you pray together? Why do you care for one another? Why do you sell things? Why do you give money away to other churches? Why are you trying to pay off your debt so you can do that? Why? Why? And you get to say, it's Jesus. You need to meet him. You need to know him. You need to believe in the one God has sent. You need to know that he, he loves you. That's what Jesus prays. That's why it's so important 
that we are unified. And I know as I say this, this is real life, right? This isn't detached from your real life. You're not about to go home and that's real life and this is artificial and uh, that was really some nice things he said, but that doesn't apply to my circumstances. No, this is real life. Jesus prays for you in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your conflict, in the midst of your relationships. In that relationship that you think is too far gone that can't be unified. In that relationship, maybe even in your family, maybe even in this church with someone in this room. You think, Tim, well, this is nice, but I mean, you, you don't know my situation. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what I've done to others. I mean, you don't realize that that person hasn't apologized to me yet. It would be too hard to have that conversation with them. I don't know what I would say to them. I don't know how to repent to them. I don't know if I can be unified. I don't know if this is real for my situation. You need to know, Jesus knew unity would be difficult, right? I'm not saying your situation's not difficult. I'm not saying it's, it's not gonna take some work of, of writing down a, an action plan, of praying as soon as we get through preaching, of praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? How can I preserve unity in this relationship? I'm not saying it's not gonna be hard. Jesus knew it would be hard. Listen, that's why he prayed for you. That's why before he goes to the cross, he could pray about anything, but he prays for unity. Why? Because he knows it's hard. You're gonna need it. And so some of you this morning, you need to know Jesus has prayed for you, for that relationship, for that friendship, for that family member, for our churches, that we would be unified, that we would reflect the glory of God by showing the oneness of God in the way that we live. He can do that for you in your life. You need to respond to this this morning. You need to take a step to preserve unity, not prevent it. What does that look like for you? Let's pray together and see. Let's pray and echo the prayers of Jesus and see what is our next step in unity. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you for Desert Springs Bible Church and Phoenix Bible Church. God, I pray for unity. And I pray that just confident that this is your vision for our church. How, how do I know, God? Because you, you, you enabled us to see the prayers of Jesus where he prays for this specific thing. And so God, I pray in this moment, if any of us are questioning in here, like, should we be unified? Does this really apply to me and, and my friend or my sister, my brother, my spouse? Does this really apply? God, I pray that they would know your word says it does. That Jesus says it does. It couldn't be any clearer. This is your vision for us. And so enlarge our vision, not just for us, but for the church not just for this church, but for the churches in Phoenix, for Phoenix Bible, for Desert Springs, for all of our, our churches who, who know you and believe your word. May we be a people who are, are unified so that more people might be unified, so that people would believe in Jesus, the one who you sent, the one who loves us. God, help us. We, we need some help with this, so we pray for it now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.